Welcome to the TechEd Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome in. My name is Matt Kirkner. I am your host for the Tech Ed Podcast. And if you are a regular listener, you know that we love educational disruptors here on the Tech Ed Podcast. And so when I was reading a headline that said, Arizona State University looks to enroll 100 million more students by 2030, I knew an education disruptor when I saw one, and I knew we had to have somebody from that program on with us to talk about this. We are doing exactly that. Our guest today is Dr. Sanjeev Kagram, the Director General and Dean of the Thunderbird School of Global Management at Arizona State University. Dr. Kagram, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure and honor. Thank you so much, Matt. So before we dive into this just incredibly disruptive announcement, and I'm so fascinated by what you're doing, just set the stage a little bit for us by telling our audience about the Thunderbird School of Global Management and what makes it so unique. Thank you so much. Well, the Thunderbird School of Global Management has been around for 75 years. It was founded by Thunderbird Air Force pilots that came back from World War II, man and, and, and friends. Uh, they saw the horrors of World War II, and they believed that there was a better way to peace and prosperity, and that was through trade and diplomacy and educating uh, a new generation post-World War II of leaders and managers to advance trade and diplomacy. That resulted in our famous motto, orders frequented by trade and diplomacy seldom need soldiers. Over the last 75 years, we've trained 45, almost 50,000 degree uh, students graduates now, alumni in 140 countries around the world. We have as many CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, you know, ministers, you know, executive directors of nonprofits and NGOs as perhaps any professional school in the world. What makes us really unique is threefold. We are completely global in everything that we do. We invented this notion of global mindset, which is how global an individual is in terms of their intellectual, social, and psychological capabilities. And secondly, we really are focused at certainly, especially over the last four years uh, since I've taken over and had the privilege and honor of being at Thunderbird to be the most digital leadership and management school in the world. So really focused on what we call the fourth industrial revolution, AI, Internet of Things, blockchain, digital disruption. Of all You're speaking my language. Here. I love it. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and so uh, what we think of ourselves is the most global and digital leadership management school in the world. We have an incredible new global headquarters behind me uh, that is, we believe, the most technologically advanced of its kind in the world. And we have 20 centers of excellence around the world, what we call regional centers of excellence. So we can reach pretty much anywhere on the planet. So, and then we're part of Arizona State University, which as you know, and our, many of our audience members know, is number one for innovation for the last seven years running. So if you put these two together, the number one school, Thunderbird, for global leadership, uh, management, business, digital, and number one for innovation, ASU, you have a pretty tremendous combination. I love that combination. Anything that's global, certainly anything that's digital. And some of those words you were using, we're going to dig into a little bit more deeply in the podcast a little bit later on. We're certainly all about technology. And, and, and of course, Arizona State University having an incredible reputation uh, and an incredible position of leadership. So we're, we're so very glad to be having this conversation with you, Sanjeev. Now, 45 to 50,000 degree students, uh, individuals in all walks of life, as, as you suggest, 
Uh, that's a far cry from 100 million learners in 2030, right? So uh, as impressive as, as that number of learners and, and that number of degrees is, it's just an incredible undertaking that you have. You recently announced, as we suggested in the introduction, this unbelievable plan to educate 100 million learners by the year 2030. Tell us about this unprecedented effort. Sure, and I just want to be very clear to everyone that we are not enrolling 100 million new degree students, right? And it is 100 million learners. Uh, And the idea here is that around the world, the the appetite and the desire and the need and the demand for higher education is growing dramatically. But skill sets, again, global and digital skill sets for the 21st century. We know we're in this new world, a disruptive world, technologically driven world. We know that jobs are going away. Individuals at all walks of life need to understand technology and have those technical and digital skill sets. They need to be entrepreneurs and innovators, and they have to have a global perspective, despite the fact that we're in a very difficult time with COVID and obviously wars and other types of things sadly happening around us. And so the idea is to reach exactly what it's uh, 100 million learners over the next 10 years or so. Uh, We got an incredible gift from two of our distinguished alumni, Francis and Dion Jaffe, $25 million. Francis and Dion were not only benefactors, are not only benefactors, but also intellectual architects of this program. Now, so how do we get to 100 million learners? Three programs, one for the global majority, uh, about 50 hours uh, in content, modules, global management, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So we call that the Global Management Entrepreneurship Innovation Bootcamp. Another one, an intermediate program, five courses, each of which are 135 hours each, global marketing, global finance, global entrepreneurship, and so forth. And then an advanced one, another five course program, 135 hours, you know, data analytics and digital transformation, global leadership and personal development, global entrepreneurship, sustainable business, and so forth. Underlying all of these are four or five fundamental principles. These are 100% digital online self-paced, okay? So completely digital. Uh, Number two is that we're going to be translating them into 40 different languages, 40 different languages. So that reaches about two-thirds of the world's population, maybe even three-quarters, about 7 7 billion people, you know, in terms of language. Number three is it's no cost to the learner, no cost to the fully scholarshiped. And so that means that it's completely accessible. Now, in addition to the $25 million catalytic gift from Francis and Dion, uh, ASU and Thunderbird have matched that, perhaps most likely even more than that, in cash and in kind, in terms of all of our technical capabilities, people, resources, so forth and so on. And so that's the, the framework. 70% of the 100 million learners, we want to be women and young women because of our commitment uh, to inclusion generally and specifically in terms of gender equality and women's empowerment. So those are the parameters of this program, this this global initiative. Incredible initiative indeed. Interesting parameters that you put out there talking about this being 100% digital. We're going to get into that a little bit more deeply in the role of e-learning as the world of education continues to evolve. I know that's that's key, how we get this content into 40 different languages. We're going to talk about that as well, which is fascinating. I want to go back to something you mentioned uh, in answer to the first question, which is one of the things that makes your organization, makes uh, the Thunderbird School of Global Management so unique. What is so important about that word global? Why is it such a focus for your school and for these particular courses? Why global? Because we were founded, as I said, in our history to really advance a notion of bringing the world together and that the global economy that we're all in, despite all of the challenges and 
you know, we know that even with COVID, completely global phenomenon, means that all of us and every individual has to have a global perspective. And the set of opportunities and challenges are not just local or national and regional, but global. And to have this global mindset, to have skill sets to allow you to take, you know, let's say you're a startup uh, entrepreneur, you know, you should have aspirations to build a global startup. It doesn't have to just be in your local village or community. There's incredible opportunities. Uh, we know that, you know, globalization has advanced pretty dramatically. We've had a recently, you know, a lot of discussion of deglobalization. We still believe that the world is a better place and that we need leaders, managers, professionals, business people, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that think globally, that act globally, that sees global opportunities. So that's why everything is in a global perspective with a global set of skills, fluencies, uh, knowledge, and sort of access points for, for anyone in the world. The global world is a better place indeed. This, this idea of bringing the world together, going all the way back to your initial mission, I think that certainly explains why this word global appears so often in all these different courses, regardless of which segment of this program a learner is, is going through. And, and I think that that global mindset, I assume you agree, becomes even more important as we enter this world of Industry 4.0 and, and this digital world and making sure that anybody and everybody has access to this new way of creating their future as we look at the at some of the courses that are included in the program, the inclusion of Industry 4.0, digital marketing, data analytics, digital transformation, with a name like the Tech Ed Podcast, you can imagine that we are talking about those types of topics all of the time. Tell us a little bit about these particular aspects of the program, why they're so important. Well, you know, let's take a step back and say that, you know, what we've started to realize, and since I came, we really advanced pretty dramatically is that the global is digital and the digital is global, right? You can't be global without digital technologies. And we know digital technologies and industry 4.0 are making us even more global. So it's sort of, you know, this is, you know, this is what it means to be global in the 21st century. Then if you look out and it's pretty clear, as we all know, and virtually every sector, every industry around the world, these companies and industries, these organizations are being disrupted by these digital transformations. So it was absolutely clear to us that if we wanted to empower 100 million learners with the skill sets that would help them be successful in the 21st century, they had to have this access to new technology, new digital skill sets, data analytics, machine learning, all these kinds of things that will really make them you know, viable uh, in terms of being, you know, uh, getting jobs and having a great improved livelihoods. Again, going back to whether they want to be, if they want to be entrepreneurs, do their own startups or social enterprises, these are the same types of skill sets they're going to have to bring to bear. So we made sure that, again, every single course, the entire programs really brought together global and digital, global and fourth IR. One, because they are increasingly just interconnected uh, and sort of self-reinforcing. But two, this would really be unique in empowering uh, these learners, uh, professionals to be more successful going forward, whether they're middle and high school students, all the way to those who are you know, further along their career and maybe being disrupted out of their jobs. You know, I had the opportunity earlier this week to, uh, to guest lecture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison to a master's degree cohort there, all about the idea of artificial intelligence and Industry 4.0 and, and how disruptive these technologies are. And not only that, but how important it is for us to rapidly upskill an entire, literally an entire global population around these technologies as they continue to disrupt every single space and every single segment of the economy around the globe. So it is refreshing to see this incredible focus on digitization, on advanced technologies 
in the entire program. I, I read somewhere that the courses will lead to university credits. So I would ask, is that accurate? And, and what programs will the credits transfer to? And I'm a huge believer in stackability and creating as many pathways for folks as we can, regardless of what uh, their educational background and regardless of where we're going, is more options folks can have, the more opportunities they'll be able to take advantage of the types of learning that we're talking about today. Okay, but I will do that in a second. I just want to go back to um, the digital skill sets, knowledge, fluencies that, that learners are going to get from the three offerings, from the boot camp to the intermediate offering to the advanced offering, more and more of the digital and technological skill sets are brought forward, not surprisingly, right? So we all of them have it. But not surprisingly, as you go up the pyramid, so to speak, it gets more and more um, technical and digital and, and industry 4.0. I just want to be clear to our, our audience there. In terms of the learner experience, this is an important thing. So a learner gets onto our site, 100millionlearners.org. They pick one of these offerings, right? If they do the boot camp, they do these, these modules. The modules are about two to two and a half hours each. Uh, you know, developing your business plan, uh, marketing, and so forth and so on, customer experience. They finish the boot camp 50 hours or so, and they get a digital badge. They're done, they're ready to go. They can show that digital badge to an employer. They can use that, hopefully, even to get some you know, funding from a, an investor or a bank or whatever it is that shows something to the marketplace. And obviously, they've got the skill sets and the confidence. Now, let's go to the other two. The other two are five courses each, as I mentioned, 135 hours, the equivalent of three credit hours, three credits, right? Um, again, though, a learner signs up Let's say, say they take the intermediate version. They take a course, 135 hours, self-paced, digital, uh, on-demand, whatever language, up to 40 once we're up to that level, and they get a digital badge. So I've taken global marketing as a, in the intermediate course. I finish it. I get a digital badge. I can show that to employers, the marketplace, and so forth. I take another course. For every course I finish, I get a digital badge. I can get five digital badges. I finish all five, and I get a certificate to say you've completed the entire five course program. If I have a B or better in all of those five, then I'm eligible to get 15 university credits, either at the undergraduate level for the intermediate program or the graduate level for the advanced program. Those 15 credits then, then can be stackable to program degrees at Thunderbird and uh, Arizona State University, or could be transported around the world. Again, they're gonna get it if they convert that five courses, you know, and be or better into 15 credits, uh, they're going to get a digital transcript and they can sh share that with universities or other higher education institutions around the world and, and port that 15 credits to those other places and then stack. Otherwise, they just get the certificate, either non-degree or academic with the, with the 15 credits. So I hope that makes sense. They're a little bit different depending on the offering. It does make sense. And I, I appreciate you clarifying initially the fact that we start small and we get we get students started on these technologies and <clears throat> nobody's diving into a uh, advanced artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithm right on day one. So I appreciate that clarification. That was certainly my understanding, but I'm glad we clarified that for our audience. And then specific to the credits. So if I'm picking these up and I, and I uh, awesome that they transition to, uh, to ASU 15 credits, if I get a B or better in all five of the courses that from the example that you offered, what are the degree programs? If I can ask just out of curiosity, what can come next for some of these students? Yeah. So as part of this incredible gift from Francis and Diana Jaffe, the, the, one of the primary ones is our online Masters of Leadership and Management at Thunderbird. So you take the advanced one, you get 15 graduate credits, you're better. You get a, both a non-degree certificate and a 
uh, academic certificate if you apply for the 15 credits and, and receive them. That degree, the Masters of Leadership, online Masters of Leadership and Management is a total of 30 credits, or total of 30. So you have 15 left. You sign up, you get into that program. And if you're a learner, now a student, you go from a learner to a student, right? Because now you're getting credits and you're in, in an actual academic degree program. You have to finish that additional 15 credits for a student now from an emerging market, they have to pay $10,000 for the additional 15 credits. So for $10,000, they get a full online master's degree from Thunderbird. Uh, if you're a student from an advanced market, the United States, for example, or Europe or Japan, it's 15,000. So still $15,000 to get an entire online master's degree from the number one you know, school for global leadership management business in the world. In addition, going back to the gift, uh, the generous gift, the Najafis have, uh, you know, allocated about 150 to 200 scholarships for the most neediest and, you know, successful students applying to get full scholarships. So they would actually get a full online master's degree at fully scholarship, no cost. So up to about 150 to 200. And we're out there raising more. Now there's going to be other pathways. There's many other pathways that we're building out. That's just one example of the stackability. And just great examples there of, of the different ways that education is being disrupted in, in terms of uh, certainly financially uh, and finding opportunities for students, especially may not otherwise have opportunities to earn in this example, a, a master's degree, being able to do so for ten dollars or $15,000, depending on where in the globe they are. That, that's, a, that's a huge disruptor. We're going to talk a little bit later about the role of philanthropy in education, because obviously you, you've referenced that numerous times, and that's a key part of this initiative. I also want to dig a little deeper on the whole idea of certifications, credentials, micro-credentials, because clearly in the conversation we've had, Sanjeev, that, that's a key part of the initiative and a key part of your thinking around the future of education. So just if you would go on a little bit about the role of certifications, how they're disrupting the world of education. Are they alternatives to formal degree programs? Do they augment them? If so, how? Tell us your thoughts on that. Well, it's a great question. Let me start off with, you know, President Crow, President Michael Crow of Arizona State University has really been one of the great, as you know, educational disruptors, along with the senior leadership team and everyone at ASU. And so, you know, this type of stackability, micro-credentials, stacking, you know, portable size, uh, educational programs, uh, lifelong learning. We have a brand new um, enterprise, as we call it, at Arizona State University called Learning Enterprise, which is basically providing learning opportunities for, for those from K to grade, K to grade, right? And recognizing that we're all going to have to be lifelong learners. Some of this will be academic degree credit you know, programs, and much of it will not be. Much of it will not be. The difference, I will say, what we're proud of at ASU and Thunderbird uh, for these programs is that it can often convert to credit if a learner wants to become a student and continue on. And that makes us somewhat different then, and I think, you know, gives us a unique competitive advantage, comparative advantage, to those wonderful online providers that are non-academic. They don't have the academic Accreditation. And then the, even if you know you do a, a course and it's not accredited from ASU, Arizona State University, or Thunderbird, you are getting the, the full backing of an academically accredited institution. Okay, so where are we headed? We're headed to this unbelievable portfolio of multiple different types of stackability. You know, you take a course here and it gets you potentially some credits, potentially some not, but it signals to the marketplace you have a skill set. You could take and you get badges. The badges are the are the are the you know the NFTs, if I can say, of this world, right? And they are on the blockchain, right? 
exactly. So this is what we're, we're about. And so over time, at Arizona State University and many other places, both universities and non-university providers, this notion of having multiple ways to gain skill sets, uh, capabilities, experiences that makes you more competitive on the job market, can improve your you know, personal and professional life, has gained traction. And it's also because the cost of higher education, as we know, has been inaccessible. And so this is a way to create some ways of creating more access to the knowledge and skill sets individuals need for the 21st century. So this is the revolution that's happening. Uh, the 100 Million Learners Initiative is a particularly powerful example, we believe, and really taking this as far, perhaps, that is, as, as, as it's ever been. But there's so many other sort of experiments happening on how we can create these micro-credentials, badges, stackability, pathways, um, because a learner, you know, let's take, let's just very quickly take three different types of learners. I'm a secondary school student anywhere in the world, and I'd really like to take a course that I may then want the credits for for my college or university. Well, that's one form of stackability. Now I'm a university student, let's say I'm an undergraduate or a graduate student, I wanna take courses and I actually don't want them for credits. I'm doing my degree program, but I need some other things. So I may go out to a non-university provider because they're providing me with a, you know, a set of skills that will help me in my career or my professional trajectory. Third, I'm a, someone out on the job market. You mentioned upskilling or reskilling, you know, and I recognize that I don't have the skills to take the next step in my career. Now, that has typically been executive education, but we have so many other opportunities. And I may not want to do that such that it doesn't provide me credits at first, but maybe I can get credits and then I can start you know, getting a master's degree or, a, or even a doctoral degree For sure. down the road. But I don't want to sign up yet. I want to have that ability to do it. But right now, what I'm focused on is getting that reskilling or upskilling. So it creates this incredible flexibility and adaptability for different individuals all around the world, meeting them where they need with the education that really is going to help for them at that point in time, but making sure that it starts to give them a pathway uh, going forward. Yeah, flexibility and adaptability and creating that future pathway. It's, it's really an exciting time for higher education and, and education at, at really every level. You know, I have to share a story. I was in a, a manufacturing operation, good-sized company, Fortune 200 company, about a year and a half ago, and they, they had an incumbent worker training program, which we're seeing a lot more of these days as companies try to figure out how they're going to make sure that their manufacturing and advanced manufacturing technology employees remain, their skills remain relevant in this era of, of changing technology. There was a gentleman in there who was 63 years old, I think he told me, two years from retirement. And he was in the training program, in this case, earning a, in, earning a certification in industrial hydraulics. And I, I said, what are you doing here? He said, I, I said, you're, you, you know, you're, you're a couple of years from retirement. I mean, it's awesome that you're here. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Matt, you have to be a lifelong learner. He said, as long as I'm going to work here, I want to make sure that my skills are relevant and that my employer can benefit from the work that I'm doing. If technology is changing, I need to know about it. And I just thought that that was such a great example uh, for all of us of this term you use, which was lifelong learning and how that journey never stops. We talk about certifications, digital badging. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, I actually have two certifications from the Smart Automation Certification Alliance. 
that I earned in my 50s. They're all around advanced manufacturing industry 4.0 operations. Our producer, Melissa Martin, actually holds both of those too. And you're exactly right. They're digital badges. They're on the blockchain. They work just like an NFT. And I, you know that is the future of education coming from somebody with a, you know, with a college degree. It's just this technology is changing so fast that we have to create multiple options. And I just think that this whole project is so fascinating to me. And the way that you're reaching so many different learners, Sanjeev. So if I read correctly, the initial effort in terms of the languages and the individuals that we'll be able to reach are students in Iran, Kenya, Mexico, Indonesia, Egypt, India, Senegal, Brazil, and Vietnam. If I have that right, how did you go about picking those countries? And, and also a little bit on whether access to broadband and technology is, is a hurdle that we need to get over here. Yeah, so yes and no on the countries. That is, we sort of signal those countries to give people a sense of what kinds of places around the world. But think of it better, I think the best way to say is the languages. So the first you know, language, of course, is English. We've just launched our first advanced level course for you know, uh, global leadership and personal development at sort of the graduate level, if I could call it that, and the boot camp in English, April 8th. And we already have 1,500 learners. 10 have already completed their digital badges and we just got started. Now that's a long way to get to 100 million, but you know, you gotta get started somewhere, right? But okay, over this year, meaning 22 and into early 23, we're gonna finish out all the other courses at the intermediate and at advanced level, all those five plus five. Uh, and we're gonna start translating them into different languages. The nine languages we have on the docket first are Farsi, Swahili, Bahasa, Arabic, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Hindi, I think I mentioned that. And so we have a set of languages and those languages are associated with those countries. So we use those countries to give people a sense of the places. It's also we use those countries because going back to when I was talking about Thunderbird, we have regional centers of excellence in each of those countries. And so there, there's ways that we can get out to learners in those particular countries, but it's really the languages. So we get to about nine or 10 languages by the end of 22, early 23. We have all the courses built out, digitally accessible. And then by the end of 23, our goal is to get to 25 language and the 2024 to the 40 languages, and we're fully operational. In terms of targets, we're going to do the best we can. Nobody's done anything like this ever before. Our goal was to get to between one and 10,000 learners between you know, when we launched in April 8th till around uh, in the first quarter for six months, and we're already you know, above the thousand, so we feel good about that. We've been trying to get closer to the 10,000. By the end of the year, 22, we're trying to get to 100,000. By the end of 23, to a million. By the end of 2024 to 5 million and then you know 10 million and then we're up going into 100 million. So that gives you a sense of how we're rolling this out. There's a lot of pieces to this, as you know. I mean, for our audience, some of them might know that learning management systems, you know, how you actually get online and you know get access to the materials and submit your assignments and do your, you know, your, your exercises. You know, nobody's been able to create a learning management system that can go to a scale of a million or 10 million, or let alone 100 million learners, right? And so with this kind of content. So we're working very hard with some partners to develop that. No one's done 10 languages, let alone 40 languages. So, you know, we're doing working very hard on that. So For sure. the other part, which is how do you get to learners out there in the world? And so it's a partnership approach. We don't have enough money. There's not enough money that we could raise even to do the digital marketing, conventional digital marketing to get to all of them. So it's very much a viral marketing approach. We have partners around the world. And I think that's what's made me so heartened is that like you, and we're grateful to you and, and your incredible team, 
people are really inspired by this. And so they're jumping in, nonprofit organizations, the Global Entrepreneurship Network, governments, the government of Kenya, you know, fully led by the president Kenyatta, who's a global champion for youth and uh, entrepreneurship at the UN. Folks are jumping in and say, what can we do? How can we recruit learners? How can we bring them in? How can we support them? Do they need technology? Should we, how can we get them data, access the data? Because that's an online program. If they don't have laptops, how can we do that? We're trying to make it mobile friendly. So all of these pieces are being built out. We're kind of building the rocket ship as we launched it. But the point being is that this is a, we have a kind of plan to get there. You know, we're going to, like all entrepreneurs, we're going to test and learn and pivot and, you know, continue to improve as we go along. If the idea is big enough and the commitment strong enough, it's contagious, right? People get excited about it. They want to be a part of it. Uh, I'm suspecting you better get that LMS ready, that learning management system, because when we actually publish this podcast, you're, you're going to have another who knows how many tens of thousands of learners. <laughs> I hope so. Very much so. <laughs> so he, you mentioned this challenge of translating into, into these 40 different languages. I think I, I read somewhere that Google Translate is going to play a role in that. So talk about just translation technology, how you're going to do that. Is translation software to the point where it can uh, effectively translate into all these languages or what role will that play? Well, as you all, you know so much because you're a techie geek like me that, you know, our translation softwares have gotten a lot better, but are we fully there? No. So we have a partnership with a company that's connected very much and it is built on Google Translate and it is with Google. And that's where we're starting and we're building it out, a translation factory uh, that can take us forward to really take us to the next level. Our estimation with our partners uh, is that we can get to somewhere between 70 to 95% of accuracy with the translations through the translation factory, uh, depending on the language. You know, a language like Spanish or French, more likely to be at the higher levels. You know, a language like Swahili or Bahasa, you know, would be somewhat different. So it's a high tech, high touch approach. We certainly have to have the translation factory, but we also are gonna have validators and translators on the ground to make sure that we get to that higher level for even the more, you know, difficult languages in terms of the translation factory. That's where we're headed. We're building the translation factory right now. We're going to, like I said, by the end of this year, really be testing it out in two, three, four, nine languages and go from there. So it is, but we, we are very clear that it can't just be a high tech approach, a translation factory. That's got to be the foundation of it and get us a long way there. But we have uh, validators, partners around the world, our own students. Remember, we're a global institution. We've got all these students and alumni and so forth and, and partners that are going to help us make sure that our our language translations are not only reaching the quality level, you know, 95%, 90, 95% or better, but that you are also putting cultural context into that. Because again, we want people to always be thinking about cross-cultural perspectives and the context in which they're living and working and leading and managing. So, you know, that's where we're headed. And uh, it's part of, again, the sort of what Thunberg represents. It represents getting access to folks from all over the world, uh, bringing the world together, doing it in a way that's accessible. And language, we know, is one of the greatest barriers to, you know, learning and education. One of the greatest barriers for sure. And as we use technology and really any technology, technological advancement is a combination of the technology and then the, the people that are implementing it and using it and improving it. And it sounds like uh, translating into these 40 languages is exactly that type of an initiative, a combination of both people and technology. On our way to 40 languages, regardless of the language, this is all being delivered digitally. And I can tell you that being somebody that spends a lot of time in the technology space, a lot of time 
in the e-learning space. The world itself has different understandings of what e-learning is and how it has evolved. Uh, you know, I still talk to people who think e-learning is reading a Kindle book and there's nothing wrong with reading a Kindle book, but e-learning has come a long way from the digital page turners that we had uh, 5, 10, 15 years ago. So tell us about how e-learning has evolved in the last decade and how you're putting some of that evolution and advancement to work in this program. You know, it's a fantastic question. It's, it has been, the, as you know, because you're involved, a, a complete revolution in the way we've been doing it, right? Obviously, the pandemic then accelerated further, both in terms of the cultural willingness and, you know, sort of openness to digital learning, um, because we know in many parts of the world, including here in the United States, there's been a, you know, sort of reticence. On the other hand, we as faculty, you know, I'm a faculty member, I've gotten so much better at recognizing that, yes, some of the tools that we use and the tactics we use in the physical classroom, we can translate and do it online, but there are many other things we have to do. So let's give some examples, right? Being able to create what we call knowledge checks and interactive exercises and open-ended assignments and so forth, being able to make sure that there's ways for learners to translate what they're learning into practice. And so that gives them motivation, uh, connecting them to study buddies, you know, electronically or group projects and so forth, which is all going to be part of the rollout, not right away, but as we build this out, you know, the holy grail for our audience and you know about is active asynchronous online learning. The biggest issue is a learner gets on and, you know, they do a little bit, but then they, they say they get frustrated. It's not very exciting. You know, it's just a video and so forth. So then it is seems like a Kindle, right? It's just like pretty static. How do we make it engaging? And that goes back to all these different tools and techniques that we've been developing as a sort of global educational, you know, digital education community. And we're trying to bring to bear all of those, you know, and in between creating opportunities for synchronous online engagement, meaning real time. We have global webinars where or regional webinars where learners could come on and hear about the latest on, let's say, crypto, you know, or whatever it might be. So it gives them another way of engaging and gets them even more excited to go back to their asynchronous online learning program. So lots of different tools and techniques try to create as much interactivity as possible, but also ways for learners to reflect, to, you know, really internalize the learning, take all of that into the 100 million learners initiative. And I think that combination of technology, synchronous learning, asynchronous learning, it really meets the learner where they are. You think about the the learning modes and the environment we were in 30 years ago, and everybody was just accustomed to sitting in the same classroom, learning the same thing from the same instructor, almost regardless of the way they best learned. We had one version of learning, regardless of who the learner was or how they learned. So all this flexibility that we're placing into a program using e-learning. And I think one of the things that we hear from, from a lot of people, I mean, you look at the number of employees, for example, that take advantage of uh, incumbent worker training programs or, or even better tuition reimbursement programs. And they'll say, look, uh, you know, I, I'd love to do this, but, you know, I've got to take the kids to soccer on Tuesday and Thursday and we're visiting grandma on Saturday or whatever. We're really in an age where it's that much harder for somebody to be able to even take advantage of a program like that. And and with the ability to leverage e-learning, but also the, really the best of both worlds, the best of e-learning, the best of in-person instruction, or at least virtual in-person instruction in a synchronous manner. I love the term electronic study buddy. Who would have heard that 30 years ago? But <laughs> I love 
the yeah. use of that term as well. You know, I've got to believe as you talk about, for instance, a learner getting in, in frustrated with the content, which can certainly happen. All these tools we have now to measure a learner in real time. We've already talked a little bit about artificial intelligence and machine learning and the benefits there. Is that going to be a big part of learning in the future? And will these advancing technologies be leveraged in this particular initiative? They already are, as you know, and certainly, again, you know, my home institution, Arizona State University, has been on the frontier along with a set of other ones using that for, you know, basic math and having AI, you know, machine learning responses on grading, but also, you know, sharing with students. You're doing these problems and through AI, be able to tell you that this is the skill set you're having difficulties with. So take this module or this, you know, uh, area so that you can improve on that so that you'll be able to do better the next time when you take this test or engage this type of a problem. It's remarkable where we've come to and it will just continue to get better. For us, it, it'll, we're gonna be utilizing but once, as we get to scale, whether it's you know electronic study buddies or group you know, cohorts and things like that, we have to get to a certain scale and I'll tell you why. One of the things we are doing, which I mentioned early on, I wanna reinforce is that this is self-paced. And so there's two types, as you know, of, of uh, asynchronous online learning. One is that it's self-paced. The other is that it happens at, at a certain you know frequency. You, know, you sign on every week at this time. Tuesday, like you said, Tuesday or Thursday. You know whatever it might be. This hundred million learners programs are self-paced. So you know the fifty-hour boot camp. Someone could finish definitely in a week and be done. You know one hundred thirty-five-hour equivalent of a three-credit course at the intermediate or advanced. They can finish in two weeks, arguably in a week if they want to just keep going, but really we're talking about two weeks, right? So that's fantastic because, you know, it's like binge watching. They can be binge learning, right? And, and that's a really important thing. And so as we get to scale though, we can use more of these techniques, right? Once we get to 100,000 or a million learners, we can connect them more easily because they might be at different points in the learning journey. And of course, we can use AI and uh, machine learning to see where are clear patterns happening so that we can build you know, chatbots and all sorts of other things. So that's certainly the not only the vision, but the, the game plan. We just have to get going right now and get people in and start to really learn and start to use some of those technologies. Same thing with two other technologies that I'll mention that we, our goal is to have very much part of the program in two, three, four, five years out, even more so mobile, mobile friendly. You know, let's use your example. I'm at the soccer game. I'm watching, I can watch, you know, 20 minutes while, you know, at halftime when I want to watch my, you know, young daughter play soccer or football, but I can, you know, they're, they're doing their halftime. I can do 20 minutes or whatever it might be, or I'm on the bus or the train. This, the, the last one probably is the one that I'm most excited about. Though I'm excited, we're excited about all of it is being able to try to get this using volumetric capture into a 3D AR, VR, XR kind of capability. So volumetric capture, as you know, is what Hollywood and others, you know, film production use for, for being able to do virtual, right, production. And we have a volumetric capture uh, technology, the first ever higher education institution that I know of in the world here in our new global headquarters at Thunderbird. Now, imagine we do the online programming. You go in, a faculty member does it. You know, you basically go into a spherical cube. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> Wizard of Oz kind of stuff, as you know. And then... It's 3D. Now, a learner picks that up on the phone and they're going to see their faculty member 3D on the table or wherever it might be in a backdrop with, you know, doing that's a totally different experience than a 2D, you know, sort of video screen or a laptop screen. So, you know, each piece of this we see as an opportunity to advance over this 10 year journey that we've embarked on.
In a former life, I traveled all over the world talking about what we called the exponential economy, the idea that products are doubling in price performance every 12 to 18 months. And one of my examples of the future, and people just rolled their eyes when I said it, and this was probably 10 years ago, I said, in our lifetime, we'll be able to sit in a meeting with a hologram of another individual and feel like we're right across the table from each other. And here we are talking about volumetric capture. And, and really, in, in some ways, we're not too terribly far away from a three-dimensional figure appearing in appearing in our, in our bedroom, in our, in our kitchen, as we're engaging in learning and having that, that teacher, having the individual delivering the learning, or for that matter, our electronic study buddy there in, in hologram form. So it's just, it really is just incredible times that we're, we're going through uh, the discussion about engaging AI and ML technologies, the whole idea of mobile mobile phones. We're big advocates for this whole life of you know work-life integration. And I would say it's almost education, work-life integration. We can't put these big walls around our lives anymore if we want to live in, in the modern economy. And so just, just some great observations about where, where all this technology is going. It's really an exciting time and it is an evolution. It's an evolution, by the way, whether it's hours or competencies or something in the middle that doesn't happen without amazing support from some of the philanthropists that you have mentioned over the course of our discussion today. I want you to take an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about the amazing people who have put up this $25 million. Philanthropy is absolutely essential and multiple resources in multiple different ways. Different types, you know, there's philanthropy, there's contracts, there's grants, there's revenue generation of different kinds. You know, we've had to all be very creative and, and arguably nowhere more creative and innovative in terms of figuring out multiple sources of revenue, including philanthropy than Arizona State University. With respect to Francis and Diana Jaffe, as I mentioned, they both graduated from different time periods from Arizona State University with their undergraduate degrees. They both ended up going to Thunderbird in different parts of their lives in different decades to Thunderbird. They then got married and uh, we were, you know, and became distinguished alum of both institutions. Um, and so when I came in, we began talking about, you know, what was the future? And what I started to share and was completely aligned uh, with Francis Dion that we had to at Thunderbird not only be the most global leadership management business school, but the most digital, what, what we were talking about earlier, this global digital kind of, you know, alignment. And that was in our degree programs, in our executive education, in our faculty, everything we did, you know, the design of our building and the building out of our new global headquarters. We even did uh, uh, the first ever, one of the first ever digital graduations during the pandemic. You know, we basically had our students receive, they were avatar robots, we gave them their uh, diplomas as avatar robots. We had holograms. Going back to your point about holograms, you know, our speakers came in as holograms. So we wanted to practice what we preached. So as we were talking to Francis and Dion, they were completely committed to education as a human in a basic way. And particularly for Francis, who's an American, uh, Iranian-American immigrant, uh, you know, uh, Arizona State University, and particularly Thunderbird, the business skills, the leadership management skills that he learned there transformed his life. And so they both, and you know, Dion's a great benefactor and leader in terms of women's empowerment, girls, and so forth. And so we started to talk about how could Thunderbird and Arizona State University, this unique combination, again, number one, you know, global leadership management business, number one for innovation, do something truly transformative. And over the last four years, really, it took four years of discussions and creativity and brainstorming. You know, the idea was, could we use all the incredible content, networks, digital and technological tools that we have uh, at Arizona State University in Thunderbird to do something really transformative? And that's how 100 million emerged. And they said, you know what? This is exactly what we want our legacy to be. 
this is what the role needs now. And they jumped right in and they're you know, a remarkable, remarkable uh, demonstration of the power of you know, you know, a set of values and a vision and then a, a set of willingness to support with, you know, very, you know, as Francis will share with you and Dion, you know, he didn't start with lots of, you know, he built this great fortune that he wanted to give it back. So we're really grateful to him. And then to have an incredible, you know, leader and partner in President Crow in Arizona State University to say, this is what we're about. We judge ourselves by who we include, not who we exclude. And, uh, and that means globally, certainly here in Arizona, certainly here in the United States, but globally. And so if this is the way we can get to, you know, really create global inclusion in terms of educational opportunities, let's do it. And so we're going to match and we're, gonna, we're all in. Now, are we all the way there? No. You know, we're at 50 million plus in terms of cash and in kind. We estimate that we need somewhere in the order of 150 to 200 million dollars uh, to really make this happen. Uh, we need to figure out that LMS system. You know, we have to figure out the <laughs> translation factory. We have a lot of different things. We have to reach learners. So we're working to develop partners around the world. And many of them are philanthropists. They may be foundations. They may be corporates. They may be individuals to jump in because they believe in this vision and they want to contribute to it. So we're trying to create a, an approach where we have 10 to 20 partners at the global level and uh, leading partners, and then 10 to 20 partners at each, in each region around the world. There'll be many, many hundreds and hundreds of other partners that jump in you know, voluntarily and do other things, but these are sort of high-level partners that are really jumping in with either cash or in-kind, very high-level and strategic leverage resources that it can help us realize this quite dramatic vision that we have, as you know. So philanthropy is absolutely essential. It's gonna become even more essential as we go forward. And we also know, know that, you know, we have in the history of the world, we have more wealthy people, more billionaires, you know, and so forth and so on. And what's important is that so many of those who have been so successful recognize that for their children and grandchildren, for the health of the world and the planet, that giving back makes a huge difference. And so, and, and Francis and Dion are, are, you know, archetypes, are real exemplars. And making a huge difference in the lives of people around the globe. What better legacy? And so that was a, a very, very fascinating answer and, and certainly credit to the two of them. Long way to go, but you've come a long way thanks to thanks to that amazing generosity. Before I ask you one final question, Sanjeev, just for our listeners who are interested in enrolling in the courses and learning more, where do they go to find out? Very simple, 100millionlearners.org. Three clicks and you're in your first course. We want to make it as easy as possible. <laughs> All right. Three clicks, 100millionlearners.org. Pick your program, pick your course, click, and you're in. Perfect. 100millionlearners.org. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes for our listeners as well if they want to check for it there. And now into our final question for Dr. Sanjeev Kagram. And it's a question we ask every single guest here on the Tech Ed Podcast. If you could give one piece of advice to a high school sophomore, what would that advice be? Well, this particular initiative means so much to me. I was born in Uganda. I was a fourth generation Uganda and Kenya. My great-grandparents uh, came from India. We were the 20th wealthiest family in the country in Uganda, and there was a dictator that came to power in the immediate. We were expelled. I, neither of my parents graduated high school. Well, my mother didn't graduate high school. My father, technical school. And we were refugees. We lost everything. We went to refugee camps. Uh, were sponsored to the United States by an incredible family from Unitarian Church, and education transformed my life, transformed our family's life. 
And so it's really that these opportunities that we have, you have as a sophomore, and I have a junior, by the way, and I've got a 22-year-old and a 70-year-old, seize every opportunity. And in this world, given your program of technology, the opportunities are limitless, are limitless. And that can be overwhelming because there are limitless. You know, where do you pick? Where do you choose? How do you find the right place? But I want to encourage every one of our high school sophomores, juniors, seniors, and those you know, in every part of their lives, lifelong learning. This is the world we live in. You're never going to stop learning. And get, you know, the great thing is we at in higher education in particular, but education more generally, are finally coming to the party, innovating, using technology, recognizing we're in a new world. And so you as a sophomore have this incredible sort of new set of opportunities. Access the world in ways that we could never access. And so keep up with that. Ensure that you, you know, take these skill sets and apply them. Continue to practice and learn, practice and learn, practice and learn. And you're going to, you know, you're going to see that it's not going to transform your professional life. Create opportunities for gainful employment or doing your own startup or whatever it might be, but it's going to transform your personal life. It's going to make your personal life so much richer. And that's what education at its best must do and should do. And we believe this type of initiative, the 100 million learners will do. What an unbelievable personal story. And speaking from example, there's nothing I can say to make that any better. That was an absolutely perfect piece of advice for our high school sophomores. So thank you so much for that. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest, Dr. Sanjeev Kagram, Dean of the Thunderbird School of Global Management at Arizona State University. Uh, my name is Matt Kirkner. I'm your host for the Tech Ed Podcast. And Sanjeev, it's just been wonderful to have you on. Thanks so much for taking time. Thank you so much, Matt. Please stay healthy and safe, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.